Welcome to Rhythm of Previews, where we check out the preview chapters of Rhythm of War, the fourth Stormlight Archive novel. I am Danielle with 17th Shard, also known as Fell Candy. And hi, I'm Marvin, also known as Paleo. So if you don't know, Tor has been releasing some of the chapters. They come out Tuesday, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And last week as well, on Thursday, Brandon Sanderson has read from chapter seven and eight, and then Tor released the prologue and chapter one. And then on Tuesday, they also released chapters two and three. So we're going to be going in order on these. So we'll just focus on the prologue through chapter three for this episode. And then we'll just go weekly from there, if that sounds a-okay. So we'll see how long these are, but uh, we hope we can make them short and digestible and a little easier to do. <laughs> than our long Shardcast episodes? Yeah, no way. Than our, than our very long Shardcast episodes. These will be a little smaller, like little bite-sized portions. Producer Ghost is here as well. <laughs> and Producer Ghost is here as well, yes. Yep. Okay. So, uh, obviously, there's going to be Rhythm of War spoilers. I don't know if I need to say that, but... You do need to say <laughs> that. It should be obvious, <laughs> yeah. but I want everybody to know that there will be spoilers for chapters Prologue 1, 2, and 3 in this episode. Okay, so let's first talk about the prologue. Marvin, what happened? Okay, so as always, the prologue was... As we know by now about the night that Gavala died, the feast where the Pashendi um, were there and hired Seth to assassinate him. And this time around, our viewpoint for this chapter was Navani. And basically, it starts with her doing her queen thing, more or less. And she starts off preparing everything for the feast and she's quite upset that Gavala apparently invited too many people and invited people that she didn't even know about and so we see her interacting with the staff of the palace a lot and so at the beginning for instance um, there's a mention that the Pashendi of course want to play their drums and things like that but then she also sees um, Aesodan who's apparently talking to Rusha Chris who is a famous Artifabrian and artist. And Navani, as we know, is quite interested in Fabrials, and she actually intends to talk to Yerushua. And she notices that he has a small box with flowers painted on it with him. And rather than being able to talk to him, Aesudan then instead takes away Navani because she is quite bored by the Fabrial talk and instead um, takes Navani away and basically makes her, well, it takes her away. And then Navani actually wants Aesodan to actually help with the feast preparations, but instead Aesodan just goes off and talks to other people. And so she has, take to, has to take care of everything. And the cook is quite upset because apparently Delena attacked the wine stores that were intended to be used for the feast. And so she has to give up her personal store. And yeah, so she also has to then appease a lot of the light eyes that Gavala has promised uh, audiences to. And we basically just see her interacting more with the, with the people and doing her queenly duties. 
But then she finally goes and searches her husband and she finally finds him in her study where he's talking to two ambassadors from the West who we know are the heralds Nail and Kalak. And they are talking about at the moment apparently how they have achieved travel to and from Brace and how some box apparently makes that possible. And I'm quite excited to talk about that already. So be prepared. <laughs> so uh, that's a box that they are talking about. And then Navani also knows that there are apparently void light spheres on the table. But when Gavela notices Navani, the heralds leave and an argument between Navani and Gavela ensues where she complains that he, for one, doesn't really take his kingly duty seriously and instead is talking like to these foreigners who she doesn't even know who they are. And she also complains that she isn't included in his schemes. And Gavela then answers that she apparently or she doesn't deem her worthy enough for it and insults her quite a lot that she is basically just a basic whore because she apparently only married him for his status. And uh, yeah, so their marriage isn't exactly in a good place at that moment at that time. And yeah, the argument goes back and forth between them. And then Gavala leaves for another meeting with the, with the Sons of Honor. And Navani then draws up a glyph word, which reads death, gift, death. So she wishes death on her husband in that moment of rage. And that's basically how that scene ends. And we get, um, we fast forward to after the assassination, which Navani didn't really notice at first because she was still attending to the guests and uh, bidding them farewell. And so she learns of uh, her husband's death through the steward, the house steward. And she doesn't want to realize that or doesn't want to think it's true at first that her husband is dead because she also sort of bought into the, the idea that her husband was basically invulnerable and was some kind of great per greater than life person. But once she sees um, his body, she realizes that he is in fact death, uh, dead. And she actually doesn't really feel sorrow for his death, which sort of understandable with what we've seen earlier, like their marriage wasn't uh, going that well anymore. And instead she feels regret that their last, uh, the last thing they did was argue. And she also pe uh, feels pity at Gavala because he, he, the great man, he had found such a, uh, such a bad ending basically. And then the last sentence is that Gavila had left his life as he'd lived it with grand drama that afterward required Navani to pick up the pieces. So, yeah, Navani knows yeah. what's up with that. And yeah, so Daniel, what, what were your thoughts at well, this chapter? Well, there's so much here already. <laughs> We've already seen this scene so many times and there's more and more and more. Okay, let's start from the beginning then. Yeah. <laughs> so. Aesiran, horrible, terrible, mm -hmm. like always. But what's interesting, like you mentioned, that box that Rusher Chris was holding, that painted box with the flower on it, which shows up later on. Like there's a lot of mystery and detail kind of brought to that. And so. Yeah. Actually, I'm not too sure whether that box, uh, it would be interesting to know whether that box is the same one that Gavala is talking about. That would be 
So I was under the impression it was, but like you said, it, it possibly couldn't be, but I felt like the way that it was drawn attention to the box two times, in my opinion, it was the same one, but I could definitely be wrong. Yeah, and I think that in an earlier draft of the prologue, we didn't uh, that Gavilla didn't actually mention a box. He just mentioned that travel to and from Brace is now possible or something like that, and mm-hmm. connection is an important factor. And now that he added that in, um, that Brent added that in, I think I do think that there might be a connection, and maybe Rusha Chris also is a son of honor, and mm-hmm. is sort of helping them out with a Fabrial tech that goes well, a little beyond yeah. what they currently have. Yes, exactly. Um, and Navani is talking about all these art, artifabrians and everything, and and she's wondering, did Gavilar invite them here and all of this? And then she sees those gems on his desk, and she immediately connects them to, um, you know, the gems that she was interested in mm-hmm. in her research. So yeah. that's what kind of tied it together for me in my head. But yeah, yeah I think um, that's definitely a likely thing that they are related but it could also be brand misleading us completely and just true could be a red herring which i actually i really like those because they make you think and then it goes off in a completely (laughs) different direction and i really like that i like being surprised which i i'm the kind of reader who i just read and read and read as quickly as i possibly can (laughs) and then i start thinking about things afterwards (laughs) yeah so and so yeah, what what did you think about like the portrayal of Navani's relationship to Gavala here? Because I think it's it's really indicative yes. that yeah, it's definitely an abusive, horrible marriage of convenience kind of thing. Um, I actually really liked her little like looking at Dalinar, kind of interested in him, and she had to kind of pause and look at him for a little bit, even though he was kind of <laughs> drunk and you know, stealing mm-hmm. the wine out of her stores and everything. Um, I really like that little Yeah, I think it's kind of a view it, into her own mind and where she's at yeah, in I her own it, relationship. Yeah, I think it really shows already how like she will love Delena later on, like what we see in Oathbringer and yeah. so on. So it really foreshadows that although we have already seen it. And um I also think that there, um, there was a mention also that there apparently are rumors about maybe or probably Delena Navani having a f- an affair. Mm-hmm. And I think that also it, but apparently Gavada doesn't really care about that because he doesn't think think highly of Navani anyway. And that just like I can see Gavada becoming <laughs> becoming sort of the new Moash character that everybody hates on, with how terrible he shows up. People here. love to hate and, characters and things yeah. <laughs> like that's the most discussion is always on who they hate. <laughs> yeah, I mean Gavilar is definitely up there for me. Um, after all of these point of views of the prologue scene happening i just i can't stand him i hate him um i just hate that kind of personality and people who look at other people as just pawns to be used i just especially when he was talking about um yasna and amaram mm-hmm. yeah that just made me so mad like why was he so insistent like she's nothing to him she doesn't mean anything to him at all like except as yeah, think- something to be used 
Yeah, at that point, he also he probably already suspects that maybe she's an L scholar or at least is close to bonding as friend or something like that and just mm -hmm. wants her bound to the Sons of yes. Honor and especially Amaram because mm -hmm. he's one of their um, members and like just wants to have her in their folds and yeah, it doesn't really mesh well with uh, my image of him. And I'm excited to uh, excited to see probably his point of view in the in book five because they uh, probably that's what it's going to be. Yep. Yeah, it will. Uh, by the way, there, yeah. there is a confirmation that Gavilar will okay. be the book five yeah. person. Yeah. <laughs> I I figured as much. I mean, that will kind of be the final piece in the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Really looking forward to that and seeing how his viewpoint of all of these events uh, measures uh, or plays out because. I don't think it will redeem him, him in any way. It probably will make me hate him more. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Which is fine. He deserves yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, speaking of Gavilar, we were also talking about um, him meeting with Nail and Kalak. Mm -hmm. And uh, how is it that we know that that's Kalak again? I honestly can't remember. I think it... Like for for one, the descriptions are sort of like we have a With description small of nose the, yeah, exactly, and we have a description face. of uh, or we know that Jesuan is the uh, beggar that um, Isha is in uh, Tesim or whatever the mm -hmm. uh, Tuka and um, what else we know Na uh, Nail is the is right. where Nail is yeah, and we know that he's the other person and we know Talon isn't there so. By process of elimination, it sort of has to be Kalak if it isn't if and it has to be one of the heralds. So yeah, right, yeah. yeah. And I liked his uh, last sentence there, like when he was they were walking out of the study, and uh, before Navani goes after <laughs> Gavilar about you know leaving her out of things and uh, leaving his party, um, Kalak kind of cowardly. He's like, I want out. It's the only way. Like, what is it? What is the way? <laughs> That's yeah. <laughs> oh God. Mystery so, and it just makes it so interesting and exciting yeah. to read more. Yeah. Ever since the prologue, we got the first reading of the prologue. People have theorized that it's probably like they the way out is some way for them to leave the Roshan system behind completely, mm. and that's also what they talk about here. Like they they say or Gavilar, I, I, or I think it's Gavilar who says that um, they. Their connection to Brace is sort of what makes it possible that they travel at all or something like that. And they fear that it's too short a distance, but it's at least a good start. And mm -hmm. so that seems indicative to me that, and because we know that cognitive shadows are sort of bound to their system um, because of the connection with the shard mm -hmm. and things like that. And so, yeah, it's probably something that's what they're trying to figure out. And but I, what I like about it is or about this portrayal of Kalak is that he's also the character who in the I think Yasna um, prologue talks about how they're getting worse and so he seems sort of the most reasonable of the heralds to me almost mm. because he sort of sees that he's getting worse and tries mm. to just leave and like, he's just really desperate I feel. Yeah, desperate is definitely the word that I would use. Yeah. yeah. And they they aren't handling their situation very well. None of them are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's understatement. Yeah. I, yeah. 
uh, I don't know if we had this confirmation before, but or I guess we got glimpses of it in like the other products. But they Kellogg also confirms that um, Ash is here for the for the fees because he mm -hmm. says sort of I saw her handiwork earlier. Mm -hmm. And I think in one of the products we saw that was one of the images or statues had the eyes scratch yeah, out or something statue. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's cool to see that like it's all coming together slowly. <laughs> like how the, what we, what we see what the heralds were doing back um, then. And that they apparently sort of were all there for the fees, apparently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like the structure of this, like how you get a little bit more information revealed each time it's like um like he's dangling you know candy <laughs> in front of us just like he yeah. got it i got yeah. it nope nope you can't have it yeah. the the mystery so. man oh, he manages to make it as mysterious as possible still mm -hmm. even after the fourth prologue so yep. so something else that i found quite in or not interesting but an interesting tidbit was that we um saw a new type of spren i think the anguish spren um, mm. that appear uh, with everyone while feeling anguish at Kevlar's demise. Mm -hmm. And they apparently look like uh, teeth growing from the wall. I think Ooh. that was just a very yeah, chilling description and also yeah. sort of quite fitting, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I love all the description of the different spren and how... <laughs> um, in my mind, I always wonder what do they look like, like their full mm -hmm. body, like ooh, oh, oh teeth oh. coming out. Of, I can't even imagine what those are going to look like. Oh. It's just like one of those, one of those like deep sea beasts with like oh. uh, the jaws. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, with the little thing over there. their head. Yeah. Light. <laughs> like an anglerfish. <laughs> that, yeah, that's actually, yeah. I feel like some of the Spren designs were based on those deep sea mm. fish. Yeah. <laughs> it's so creepy and weird. So that was the prologue. Uh, we don't, due to time constraints, have a lot of time to be going into much detail about these chapters, but feel free to theorize your butts off. Um, and <laughs> we'll definitely be responding to those kinds of comments for sure. Um, and then there's a lot of discussion going on in the forums and the Discord and everything. So um, definitely feel free to join in the conversation. So uh, with that said, we're going to move on to chapter one. We're going to be going into kind of present day, what's going on right now, a year after the events of Oathbringer, which is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in chapter one, I guess I'll just summarize it. Uh, we have Liren in Hearthstone. He's doing his thing. He's helping out those Herdasian refugees. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm not going to turn this into a pronunciation. <laughs> no one knows how to pronounce like, anything. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And so he's he's doing his surgeon thing. You know, that's his passion. And uh, he's also, while he's doing this, kind of spying on the enemy, the singers. These, these parchmen and women who have come to kind of, I don't want to say sapience, because obviously they were sapient, but they've come into their own. <laughs> So he spoke with this new Parshwoman brightness. I'm going to butcher this. Abiyajan. Abiyajan. Yeah, that's how it is. Um, who is the new city lady of 
Hearthstone. <laughs> and I think it was actually mentioned during it that uh, Liren had set her arm while she was a slave. And she thinks that it was just because she was expensive, but it was really because that's his job. He's he's a surgeon. So anyways, she comes up to him and she uh, wants him to inspect everybody for plague spread because that's how plague is spread. And he's kind of trying to educate her like, no, it's spread with contaminated water. This is, we know this now, it's not by spread, but she kind of just doesn't want to listen. So he uses that as his tool to uh, do his spy work. Uh, he... Uh, inspects everybody for plague, plague spren. And in the meantime, he's also connecting with uh, resistance fighters um, among the refugees. So uh, Laral, Laral, how do you pronounce that? Laral. Laral. <laughs> Laral. So she stops by, uh, she gives Liren some information about a general, a Herdesian general named Mink. Um, while they were discussing Roshon making some kind of distraction. Uh, so they're all kind of in Hearthstone amongst themselves, trying to oust the enemy, basically, is what my impression is. Um, so they're waiting for Kaladin to arrive. He said he, meant he uh, sent a message to him. And so while they're waiting, he goes to inspect this general for the plague or wounds. He goes, uh, they make a show about finding a wound on one of the companions of the general. And uh, then Roshan shows up. He's drunk. He's causing a scene. This is his distraction. And Lyran and the Herdesians try to get past the guard post. Before they can escape, though, Abiyajan stops them, asks Lyran to attend her because they're blessed. A fused has arrived. This fused is massive he's seven feet tall his hair is colored blood um it's wrapped around his body in an unusual fashion and he has horns or fins sticking out of his carapace on his head so uh he's he's pretty intimidating um he also is kind of condescending he uses an interpreter even though they can tell he knows how to speak alethi he uses an interpreter to speak to Lyran, and he's saying i'm looking for a man uh, obviously, Liren, his first thought is, oh my god, he's talking about mink. But no, Fused Guy mentions the Shash brand, Kaladin's brand. So uh, in the next sequence of events, Kaladin is revealed. And then the last sentence gives me chills every time. <laughs> Death had come to visit Hearthstone today, despite Liren's every effort. Oh chills as i'm telling you <laughs> so <laughs> what are your thoughts about this epic beginning chapter yeah i definitely gotta agree that that last line is just awesome and i think it shows that brandon has really come a long way in his prose and that he isn't just good at world bending anymore he like he really can pull off these amazing and or he always has been to an extent like we also had an elantris that um, eternity entered 10 years ago i think it's in the same vein there that yeah, he can really pull those off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but in general, like what I'd like to talk about maybe is like because we sort of that we sort of see um, life in a normal Alethi town now after the Pash or the singers have conquered them and how 
really it really goes to show how much they sort of appropriated um, Alethi culture for themselves, but are also trying to balance uh, it with their ancient singer culture, because we see that Abiyachan is apparently wearing a hava, but the colors instead are a lot more muted, and um, she or they say that the the muted colors are supposed to show their skin patterns more and things like that. So I find really interesting how these new singers sort of, or this new generation of singers are sort of trying to find a balance between their, uh, or the history they are supposed to have and um, the history they actually have due to their um, upbringing in, in Alethi culture. Yeah. I really liked that um, kind of little look into how these Parsh people are kind of coming into their own and learning a little bit about their their culture from these fuse to have finally arrived and they're kind of not obviously not looked well upon by the Alethi people and the Hardasians because they're they're kind of turning the tables on them before they were their slaves and now they're their masters so it's it's a definitely an interesting uh, view into normal life, not the radiance, not anything, mm-hmm. just with these these massive, powerful figures showing up and terrorizing <laughs> these people. It's very interesting. And then you're like, where? What am I supposed to think about this? Like, mm-hmm. for for years and years and years and years, they've been enslaved, and now they're coming into their own it's it's very interesting it sort of feels like like we know that the singers were the original inhabitants of rosha and things like that and Mm -hmm. the humans actually took away their land so it's almost like we are supposed to side with the humans because they are not on odium side and things like that but really like the original masters of the place sort of have come back and uh, i just find it quite striking how like the role reversal, how completely it um, went about because Rochelle now is one of those um, creme um, chippers or whatever they call them. And mm-hmm. like he has the lowliest of jobs now that usually probably was mostly parchment work. And it, it makes me question whether the dark eyes, they really see it as that much of a difference, like the change of rule, because Lirin, for instance, he doesn't really seem to mind. Like he, whether it's the light eyes he serves under or the um, Pasheni or the singers, he has to fix people and stitch them up. Like it doesn't really matter to him. And I found that perspective of Lirin quite interesting. Yeah, I loved that scene with Roshone wearing like shorts and <laughs> knee pads. I just, I don't know. It's, I mean, the roles are reversed now. Mm-hmm. But what I also fi- found funny about that, like uh, you mentioned the remark that like Abiyachan says that, oh, plagues brand cause plagues. And, and then Liren says, no, it's actually, we know that diseases are spread through like the air and the water and <clears throat> things like that. And uh, then Abiyachan says, ah, superstition. And it's sort of mm-hmm. funny how that sort of reverse that the actual superstition is uh, what they believe is true and like that the the actual science behind it is what they call superstition and what that makes me wonder is whether that is also something they they took over from the alethi like that belief or whether it's more mm-hmm. of a singer thing that 
they really because singers obviously uh, have a special relationship with Spren, and so they attribute more to Spren. Yeah, that is a good point. I didn't even think about that. Like, where <laughs> did these superstitions come from? Were they just kind of uh, like oral history passed down, or was it, you know, just villager talk? You know, <laughs> like in these little tiny towns, maybe they just don't know. Like that's that seems yeah. pretty pretty common. So obviously, something else we have to talk about with this uh, chapter is the mink or piano mm -hmm. and a. Kahal or something like that is what apparently his Hadassian name is, and it's an honorific. Yeah, so the mink, we saw him before in one of the, I think, Oathbringer interludes. I might be mistaken, <clears throat> but it's a Scheller interlude where he, the way we have this, the viewpoint of this Alethi general, and who is in Herders now as a, as a captive, and um, they sent him to the hawk, which is just a nickname for a giant, well, great shell from uh, from the sea. And uh, like we see or <clears throat> we get to know that the Ming apparently he's very good at getting out of, of, out of um, shackles and he also escaped the hawk before. And it's really fun to see, I think, uh, him showing up here. And <clears throat> I think we should talk a bit about like also how they wage war so long. Like we know that or we learned that herders um, survived the longest sort of the war against the singers. And yeah, what were your thoughts on that? Uh, I know in, in some of the later chapters that we are going to go over in this episode, um, when he meets Dalinar and talks to him about, you know, being the Blackthorn and everything, I thought his his wit and his uh, candor to Dalinar and Navani was hilarious <laughs> and <laughs> really, really an interesting read. Yeah, I really can't wait to see more of him. And like there are theories that he might become a dustbringer or already is one, because like he might use abrasion to to get out of manacles and things like that. And it really would be fun to have one of those characters, like because we have lived a sort of a thief character, sort mm -hmm. of. And it would be fun to see another one of those, but with dustbringer powers. And like I just love him. To bits when he's like with his oh that's what you call our conflict with the Alethi. i would call it raping and murdering our people mm -hmm. and like the says he has says just uh, awesome yeah yeah he's kind of one of those irreverent characters just like lift is and they're in these positions possibly that they're going to be you know very well renowned like he's a he's a general and he's <laughs> going to be joining the army and <laughs> all of this stuff and uh he's kind of the same position is lift being you know on the outskirts <laughs> not so uh, not so respectful which is nice it, it adds a lot of flavor to the the different characters that we get to meet yeah and i also like how like everybody is surprised at seeing him like he's uh, everybody expects like a imposing figure like dalina maybe mm -hmm. but instead he's sort of this diminutive character who is um in his 50s i think as well and like he's uh, and, uh, like a very wiry guy and so it's it's fun to see everybody react to this almost legendary figure in Herdesian and Herdas who is just a normal guy more or less and is um, really uh, apparently a very good strategist because right. they survived that long and yeah. it really wants me makes me want to see a bit of that yeah. because I think they or what they probably did was akin to guerrilla warfare in Herders, and that just really fits the Herdesians, I think. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I like when Laren actually finally sees him and he's like, uh, you're him. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, he didn't, he, he didn't, he couldn't even pass as Herdazian really. Like he, he was just kind of, it seemed to me like he was surprised that, um, the, his name was supposed to be like implying greatness and he was expected to be some warrior forged on an anvil and, and, and then they see him and he's it's like, he's a mink. Like in our mind, yeah. we think of mink as like this little rodent type thing. <laughs> and for them, the mink, it, it's like some creature. Yeah. Yeah. I think we don't actually know what minks are to them. They might be no. cats, actually, like I think. Yeah. Uh, or like they call all small mammals minks. It's sort of. Yeah, anything with well, fur. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah that's a good one. It was fun to learn about him and like see him interact with uh, a lot of people. And also, what was fun later on in chapter three, I think, or two. As chapter two, when Kaladin goes to uh, see him, he's already like vanished and has left yeah. behind a dummy and yeah, characterized <laughs> him. Like, really oh well, my gosh, we have another <laughs> lift. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's that's good. That's good. And I'm sure Brendan will like. We already they are not they are similar, but they are not the same character, just with different names. So I think Brendan will play them out well enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely um, going to have some variety there with this older, more more streetwise, uh, crafty guy, and then the young, pubescent, <laughs> prepubescent <laughs> lift. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Okay, so I think if you <clears throat> we don't have any more thoughts on chapter one, so let's get go along to chapter two. Which, as we've learned in end of chapter one, Kaladin is, has arrived at Hearthstone, and he now is fighting the new fuse that we see there. The high. Oh, actually, we didn't really talk about him, but we can do that now because they, I, I find yes, the, yeah. the figure is, looks just like he basically looks like a devil, and I really love that. But, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait for the fan art. <laughs> <laughs> Can talk about him in a bit because we learn a lot about him already. Uh, so Kaladin fights him, and apparently he has the ability to teleport, sort of. He's doing something that lets him move um, distances in a very short amount of time. Because basically what we see, oh, well, first Kaladin remarks that he apparently isn't as easily taunted into one-on-one uh, -on -one combat as mm -hmm. the other, other fuse, like the flying fuse, who we learn are called Shanaim. They apparently are much more prone to fighting Kaladin directly. And this fuse instead he first senses in his soldiers he has with him and then attacks uh, Kaladin and he has a more much more direct fighting style, if you will, and or, uh, much more unfair maybe because he uh, wrestles Kaladin in the air and things like that. But the way that he achieved that in the first place is that apparently he can sort of leave his body or something leaves his body, which is a ribbon of red-violet light and that can streak around and move around. And then at the point where it stops, it can re or the fuse can reform a body. And we have to talk about that a lot, I think. Yes, yeah. I know <laughs> Kaladin says he's, he's more spread than, than... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. 
And so the Fuse also is quite experienced at finding search binders, probably Windrunners in particular, because he almost kills Kaladin twice. Like he repeatedly stabs him or severs his spine. And um, like, so Kaladin doesn't, can, or can't regenerate fast enough. But then Kaladin obviously doesn't die and um, manages to shake him off again. And we know that, or we, he notices that apparently when he, when the light leaves the fuse, the body that's left behind, uh, well, first of all, it leaves a body behind, like it doesn't teleport the whole body apparently, but instead leaves sort of a husk of a body behind and um, that crumbles away uh, after some time. And apparently the fuse has to sort of go recharge after three times teleporting. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so Kaladin just tries to, he doesn't really try to fight him because uh, it's not that easy to fight that creature because it can teleport away all the time. Yeah, he just outruns him sort of and um, the Kaladin uh, and the fuse sort of after Kaladin runs away from him enough, he decides, okay, I won't fight you now, but I'll come back later and fight you then. Then we have a few point switch to Shalan, who is apparently currently in the um, uh, Sadius war camp. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, well, currently she's whale at the beginning of the chapter, um, disguised as a light eyes, an important light eyes, who is trying to, like, or she pretends to be buying stuff at the market and things like that. But in fact, she's actually trying to infiltrate or get kidnapped by the Sons of Honor, who one of the merchants is associated, associated with. And she's sort of disappointed in the fir at first that she hasn't been kidnapped yet, kidnapped yet. And then at the ending or end of her viewpoint, we see that um, she is kidnapped and she noticed like, oh, I've been poisoned when she drinks something and is happy about it. It's really fun to read. But yeah, that's basically her viewpoint. And we, we see her switching more fluidly between her personas there. So at one moment, she's Whale, and then Shalan, uh, Shalan sort of pokes through and talks to her, and it's quite dynamic there. So she has changed a little from the way she was in Oathbringer. Mm -hmm. And like I said, this was her viewpoint. And then we go back to Kaladin, who is now back in Hearthstone, where he first uh, confronts the normal singers there and they first try to engage him but after he kills one of them um, they leave uh, as he wanted them to and they basically yeah, leave the town behind and um, Liren then uh, then he goes to talk to Liren in his Hesina but Liren is shows disappointment in Kaladin and the first thing he does is not ask after his son or anything but goes to check on the dead few uh, that singer and uh, Kaladin talks to Hesina and they talk about how apparently he, uh, Kaladin and Lin, Lin were a couple. And Sil talks to Hesina and sort of tells him all about, like, no, uh, Lin actually broke uh, the relationship off and things like that. And that was also really fun to see. And we learned that Kaladin actually has been to Hearthstone quite a lot uh, in the recent, uh, in the intervening year. And yeah, that's about it for the chapter. And we have a lot to unpack here. So yeah, Fel, why don't you get us started on what had you most excited here? Yeah. Oh man. Most excited. <laughs> so uh yeah, Kaladin and Lynn. That was a <laughs> roller coaster ride of a relationship. Six sentences it lasted. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I hope we learn something about that because. Yeah, I kind of, um, my prediction was that they would be in some sort of a relationship, but I didn't realize it was going to be like <laughs> over and done with by chapter two. But uh, yeah, that was actually very interesting to see that. Hopefully they didn't get tattoos of each other's names <laughs> on their bodies somewhere or anything. Well, the, but the, the advantage they have there, if they got tattoos and don't really believe in them anymore, they will heal away. So everything is fine. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's true. It needs some The benefit yeah. of Stormlight. <laughs> you can get rid of your regret tattoos. <laughs> but yeah, you also thought that interesting to learn that they and like it plays into how um still remarks that uh Kaladin has sort of gotten worse again with his maybe depression already or maybe it's something to do with his stormlight use because she says that he's always tired lately and doesn't really get sleep anymore mm-hmm. and so maybe it didn't help that for a while and maybe he was a little better in that relationship but apparently he wasn't well enough that um, she had to break it off because she couldn't handle it anymore or something like that is what I could see and it has me concerned for Kaladin. Yeah, I know. Um, his his kind of inner monologue is really difficult to read because you can tell that there's something going on. Like his thinking about sleep and being almost like being nervous about using Stormlight because he can't sleep and uh, still saying, you know, you're kind of poking fun or joking around mm-hmm. with him and teasing him. But we know since we've, so we're talking about Kaladin's depression. And if you want to hear more about that discussion, we do have a Shardcast link for you. I won't be going into that because I don't want to be talking about anything else besides these chapters. But if you want to, uh, listen to our thoughts about that. You can click on the link there. Um, but yes, uh, Kaladin had a lot of thoughts about this uh, this big guy, this big fused. Does he have a name? I didn't think he was named. I don't think we got one. And um, so, one thing yeah. I really liked about this chapter was seeing Kaladin be more adept at using his tools now you know, his stormlight, his lashings and everything, but he's still learning because they still don't have all of the information. So with the time skip, the one year between Oathbringer and this, uh, they've learned, they've they've kind of progressed in, in their abilities. So we've skipped all of that. And now we're coming to a place where they have to deal with new threats and new um, like ways of fighting. Like he was talking about how he has to grapple and wrestling is not normally used on the battlefield. So now he's he's not practiced with this. So he, he took the smart route and kind of <laughs> left it by the wayside and, and avoided death. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. I thought that was really interesting. And I think that's kind of going to be the theme of the book is uh, them kind of having to keep up and learn and change with the times. And yeah, what also fits in with it, like uh, Kaladin mentions that he has seven, uh, has fought seven, or that is the seventh type of use he is fighting now. Mm-hmm. And he has fought the others before and sort of shows that they have to re- probably relearn or adapt a little to every fused, while the fused themselves have thousands of years of experience fighting all kinds of search binders. 
So that's sort of fun to see. But what it also made me think of, like we have a comment from Brandon on Reddit that the the he structured the beginning sequence of this book a bit differently and says that he structured it sort of more like a climax because we saw we start right off in the action and Kaladin yeah. is fighting already and um, we have more viewpoint switches and things like that and it, that I also I think really shows off that stuff happened in the last year but um, we are now seeing the conclusion to that sort of and like it's it's obvious or it makes total sense that they learn to fight the fuse in the meantime but they still have a ways to go and especially their their radiant abilities and we don't see whether Kaladin is at the fourth O's uh, ideal at this point and I seriously doubt it at this point because he probably would have be running around in, in, in plate by this point and, and I feel so, like something like that would be on scene like on yeah, screen you exactly. know yeah so this it Brandon wrote this like a boss battle at the very beginning of his story and really hits the ground running with, you know, all these new things, a big fight and all of this stuff. So it's it's really exciting and it definitely sets the tone for what's going to be going on. I mean, like an arms race, all these new abilities, these new uh, tactics that they're going to be using. It's very, very interesting. And so maybe let's talk a little bit about the actual fuse we see here. So he is yes. doing something which looks like or could be or is basically teleporting, but not really. Yeah, not not um, instantaneous. But yeah. and uh, I know Kaladin mentions that it's kind of like else callers the the teleportation <laughs> that yeah. they can kind of do. I, I, it makes me wonder whether it is transportation, like the. We know that each of the views has at least access has access to at least one search and sort of they are parallel to the radius in a way. And so it, this might be a transportation fuse. Mm -hmm. But that's what like, I was thinking as well. And that's yeah. what Kaladin was thinking too. Yeah. So but the, for one that makes me wonder whether we have seen else callers actually teleport in that intervening year. Or whether he's more thinking about like just the real magic trans uh, transition they can do, like going from physical to shades one back, and it has yeah. Do you have thought on that already? Yeah, because he said that um, when he was counting, like that he he attacks three times and then he has to go and recharge a little bit. Like that does sound very similar to like having to teleport away to another place to recharge <laughs> yeah. and then and then coming back and then turning into that red violet spren shape that Kaladin was describing and i can just see it in my mind it's like zigzagging <laughs> yeah. around a bar of light and then all of a sudden he's appearing but it's not instantaneous cuz Kaladin mm -hmm. definitely mentions that he, he kind of appears and yeah. it makes it seem like there was some time that that he actually it's it's not yeah. like a one to a to b kind of instantaneous and teleportation. It's sort of a disturbing image or sound as well because it's like leather stretching the sound mm -hmm. of it and uh, sort of stone grinding on stone and like, it's it's really gruesome in a way that way that that teleportation works because as uh, I've mentioned in the summary here the fuse also leaves behind a body that then mm -hmm. crumbles away sort of and it's like a corpse and it's really weird. And Definitely. what that husk actually has me think like I'd be on board if it was transportation, 
but maybe it's also just a creative use of sort of transformation and sort of soul casting that fuse can do because we know that there are cognitive shadows and they might or they probably enter the singer bodies they inhabit as spren sort of and so maybe that red violet light or spren sort of creature is just the fuse itself that is sipping around in the physical realm and they are less constrained when they are not in an actual body and so yeah. they actually soul cast themselves a body and that's so that's kind of how we know that like the spren show up they they show up as this little part in the physical but in the cognitive they're a whole be being so i wonder what yeah. he would look like in you know the cognitive realm that'd mm -hmm. be an interesting thing to see yeah so that has me think that maybe it's not probably not just teleport or uh, transportation it also transformation or maybe it's only transformation so it's not really clear what we have here but uh, what else is uh, an interesting parallel i think is that the way the body sort of um, crumbles away is very reminiscent of shard plate when you regrow one piece in, or when you have two pieces of shard plate and try to regrow them both um, the one that has more stomach is quicker the other mm -hmm. one will crumble away so probably the same mechanics there yeah, definitely. I I agree with that. And do you have any theories on what that might be? Because I like it might be like when you leave be or leave behind the soul of something, the the physical aspect sort of deteriorates. Something like that is one thing you could go there. But I'm really not sure what yeah what the actual realmatic reason is. <laughs> yeah, I I don't have any real like theories about it honestly i mean it's an interesting phenomenon that like you said is paralleled we've seen it a similar thing very uh very similar in a completely different aspect with you know stormlight instead of this void light <laughs> so there's a lot of parallels in it between um you know the two races yeah, definitely. And I'm really looking forward to seeing more of that fuse because he promises he'll come back. And mm -hmm. I don't yeah. want to talk more Out about it. the corner it, of his eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like Kaladin remarks on that later on. But what I also find quite interesting in the aftermath of that battle is um, like Silas says, oh, we showed him. And uh, Kaladin says, no. Uh, but what did we show him? I, I don't know. And um, yeah, and <laughs> oh, then, still, uh, she's just a pure angel. Yeah, and what really had me giggling there is that apparently um, Syl is in a new dress, sort of, and uh, or like a different dress. And apparently, she took fashion advice from Adolin. And this I, is so perfect. Yeah, really lovely. I really like that she isn't wearing a hava. She is not Vorin. And mm -hmm. I'm just really excited. Uh, all of these new things being introduced make me so excited for all the fan art that's going to be because uh, I just love all of the work that everybody does for these characters. So I'm very, very excited. I'm very excited to draw some of my own ideas about what she's going to look like. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to those as well. Yeah. <laughs> And she's she's just a real great character in this scene. Anyways, like when she's teasing Kaladin, um, teasing him about sleeping, like even babies can do it. <laughs> like yeah. yeah, obviously. <laughs> but uh, and then and then she's teasing him about windrunners in general. And I love this this quote. Um, 
<laughs> men and women who would fall over themselves to make sure you didn't bruise your elbow on a misplaced <laughs> table. Um, for Well, this was actually Shalon saying that. And then still later on in the chapter, she goes, she's teasing him about how he's going to ban toes because people keep <laughs> tripping. Like it's, it's just a perfect, <laughs> perfect little repartee between people and what they perceive Kaladin <laughs> as. It's just great. And because you mentioned babies, what is was also a fun um, still interaction was because we see Kaladin going to Hesina and she has Orodin with her. Mm -hmm. And first Gagadin is what Gagadin. Orodin calls his brother, and we also see Syl sort of transforming into different things and um, playing with Orden, and I really loved that. And she, Kellen yeah. also says, um, Syl always or always makes herself visible to his family and just... Well, she's like, she's part of his family. Yeah, like, exactly. She's yeah. this little spren, and they're buddies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if you see any technical difficulties with my camera. I'm using this little tiny camera on my laptop because of this silly pandemic that's going around. I'm very frustrated with getting a, a camera. So we will talk about Shalon in this chapter because she has a wonderful part. She's trying to get kidnapped by the <laughs> sons of honor. She's trying and failing <laughs> until mm -hmm. the end. And uh, <laughs> she's fluidly moving between her three personas. She's uh, able to bring one out for specific needs when she's trying to um, be serious about something. She'll have radiant out. If she needs to be bold, she has Veil, which Veil is kind of the predominant one in this scene. Yeah. And then Shalon comes out for doing all of the uh, paperwork <laughs> where she yeah. doodles on the corners, which is yeah. totally me. That's all. That's yeah. what I do. <laughs> I love how like, she says, oh, that's a little out of character for that brightness. I cannot remember. Chanasha, as her name is. Yes. Chanasha. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, Chanasha. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's totally of character for that, but Shalon doesn't mind because she's Shalon and just wants to do a little on the side. And what I also found really cool about her, her viewpoint or her interaction with her own personas was that like in Oathware, we really only always had one persona predominantly showing um, up and taking over more or less. And here we also, we don't just see her switching more quickly and fluidly, but she also sort of has Radiant commenting on stuff that Whale is doing and Shalan is commenting on things. And she yeah pretty far gone when she's having conversations with herself. Yeah. And like she refers to herself or se themselves as they now. And like mm -hmm. she really thinks of themselves as multiple per uh, persons really, rather than one always taking over. And I th some people might think that's a step back compared to Oathbringer, mm -hmm. but I think as far as sort of, because we know she's sort of on um, or her, her condition is similar to dissociative um, identity disorder and that apparently is as far as I know sort of a good step if you can accept your multiple results at least people live with that and it's actually very good for them if you want to say that yeah well yeah she's coping with it by integrating them all yeah instead of fighting it or instead of being a completely separate thing she's accepting all of them and it's actually really interesting because they're they're talking about her secrets, you know, her mm -hmm. her past, and she's still hiding it away. And and they're like, maybe it's time. 
She's like, yeah. no, no, no. And it's not time. <laughs> like, maybe it is, Shalon. Maybe it is. I think you need to have a little hard look at yourself, buddy. Yeah, and like, uh, she mentions it when, um, like, she, to keep up the pretense of being that light eyes, she sort of sits down and does the accounts for the, um, for that light eyes. And Shalon is peeking or taking over there. And then sort of Whale is commenting, or maybe it was Radiant, that Shalon thinks, Oh, I learned this um, before my father father did something or something like that, and mm -hmm. so she she and then she begins to remember something, and that really, <laughs> yeah, but that really has me question like what possibly could have happened in her past that is probably even more traumatizing or even as traumatizing as her previous truth. And I know. Yeah, just want to know. <laughs> a lot of the complaints or criticisms, rather, of her character is that, like, is that really, was that really a, a strong, like, truth that she said, you know? Mm. And so we, we know that she has a lot more kind of hidden under, and she's still dealing with it even a year later. So it's very, very interesting. And it's interesting to see where she's going to be going, where she's going to be kidnapped to. <laughs> um, she thought she was she was getting tipsy, but uh, it was actually the poison or whatever it was um, doing its work. And so she's probably really glad she didn't use her stormlight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, with the kidnapping in, in itself, like we know she's trying to infiltrate or investigate the Sons of Honor. Yes. And that really has me interested in what her arc will be for the book. Because, mm -hmm. um, like, how long or how much of an arc that Sons of Honor investigation will be if she maybe she doesn't find out anything and just is kidnapped? And, like, it's actually another group that kidnaps her that would also, also be fun, I think. But maybe a little disingenuous of Brendan. But yeah. Well, I, don't, I don't think it would be disingenuous, but yeah. um, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. Another interesting perspective you get in that chapter is how the war camps have developed after Words of Radiance and everybody going to Oth uh, to Urethiru, because apparently mm -hmm. they have gone towards more of the well criminal side of uh, the road and uh, their gambling dens and and mm -hmm. um, brothels. And Vale is yeah. dealing with that kind of addiction, which is interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I just think it was an interesting perspective on like how things have developed there in the in the um time gap and really looking forward to Shalan's uh two points in this book. Agreed. She's <laughs> definitely one of my favorite. Oh, she was in Way of Kings. My I you could have been like, hey, what's your favorite character off the top of your head? Shalan. So <laughs> Very, very yeah. excited. I mean, she's definitely up there for me. So I'm really excited <laughs> about her her chapters. Yeah. And uh, also as a fun tangent, like at the beginning of like uh, Picofort chapter one, we also got like the part one heading and it mentioned that Wenli, we would get Wenli mm -hmm. point of views. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I first read the first paragraph of this chapter, I read of her a few of Shalan's viewpoint here, I read Wenli was in disguise oh. somewhere and was just totally oh. confused. Like, what? why is Wenly <laughs> running around in disguise? And then I had to be, oh, it's it's Whale. Okay, everything makes sense. So like, I was so confused. Why is Wendy yeah, running around in disguise? Yeah. But it would have 
made for an interesting story because like man, maybe Wenli is trying to get to the ratings <laughs> or something, but yeah, it was just Wales, so everything's good. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we did uh, have a little mention of Adel in there. I mean, mm -hmm. he was also mentioned in the last one with, with Syl getting fashion advice from him, but she has pattern kind of relaying messages to him. So it's going to be really neat to see what his involvement's going to be up very mm -hmm. interested to see where he's going to be headed. And I love that he's, you know, he's still around. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it'll, it'll be fun to see how they, as a couple, sort of will do with um, Shalan, first of all, with how Adolin deals with her personalities mm -hmm. and also how, just in general, how they deal with their, or with each other's responsibilities because he's also high prince now and things like that. So yeah, yeah. that'll be fun to see. Yeah. And and she's out there spying and and wearing all these different faces and, and putting herself directly in danger because mm -hmm. that's what she does. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You have any other comments about chapter two? I think we could probably talk a lot more about the fuse, and we didn't even mention like how he has to uh, what how he might get white light and stuff like that, where he has his stashed he has it stashed away. But I think in uh, looking at the time, I think it's time we yeah. moved on to. We're the trying last to keep again. this brief. We yeah. really <laughs> it's not working, but there were there, were there were a lot of chapters. Here. Yes, mm. there are four chapters that we're going over, and in the subsequent ones, there's probably only going to be two, unless you know something happens and an extra one is released. Or we something. didn't have time to record after Thursday, and we're like, ah, let's just wait till <laughs> Tuesday. And it's like, oh man, there's a lot yeah. to talk about. Yeah, a lot and four chapters with summaries and thoughts and just the way the fandom in general <laughs> there's there's nothing interesting that happens in chapter three though right <laughs> oh god <laughs> we didn't even talk about the epigraphs yet <laughs> oh my gosh i know okay so we'll just go right into chapter three then so that we can get this wrapped up um, in chapter three so Navani, beautiful, <laughs> stately, adventurous, wonderful Navani. She sure knows how to make an entrance. <laughs> uh, arriving at Hearthstone in this giant flying barge, the fourth bridge. Amazing. What a wonderful way <laughs> to, to <laughs> introduce her back into our story here. Into the present. And Dalinar's there too. Yeah, <laughs> and a bunch of windrunners and edge dancers, but yeah, never. Yes, missed, there's so. all the edge dancers, <laughs> there's windrunners, they have a full fleet of people on that barge, and Navani's out there on the edge just soaking it all in. I, I love her. She's living her best life now, and I'm so happy for her. Um, so she's speaking with this naval admiral. Um, they're talking about you know, the past, the future. She's even thinking, what should we use the naval terms? Uh, <laughs> instead of saying front right, we should be saying something else. So um, it's really interesting. Uh, there's a recurring theme here about, you know, the past and the future and how, how we're going to have to evolve with the times. So once they land, um, Kaladin shows up with his dad, Liren, to meet his other dad, Dalinar. Um, uh, Kaladin <laughs> warns Dalinar. About Sorry, that just cracked me up. We cracked the producer ghost up. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, it's true, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is true. It is true. So, Kaladin shows up uh, with Lyran, and Lyran's kind of not really showing the proper deference, but that's just how he is. He's a surgeon. He's kind of no nonsense with that stuff. And he's giving a really good critique about how how he would use the barge. And then Dalinar's like, well, you know, uh, that's what the edge dancers are for. And he's like, oh. So again, theme recurring, um, evolving with the times, using the proper tools. So Kaladin is warning Dalinar about this new fused that he met, the seven-foot demon-looking fused. And Dalinar... Um, you know, he does his bondsmithy thing and reinfuses Kaladin um, with and his fears with Stormlight, um, which is a really interesting scene when uh, Navani sees this warping around them and she's writing her notes and everything. Um, so, and then as Kaladin leaves this area, he he passes by his old bridge, which is what the fourth bridge is named after. Uh, bridge four it was embedded in the center of the ship and there's just from all the members of bridge four they'll always do this silent they touch the bridge just as a memory i think um you know paying tribute to their roots and then um navani and dalinar are there they're discussing his bondsmith abilities they're discussing the sibling um very interesting stuff being talked about there and then uh <laughs> And then a little bit of comic relief. We have Mink showing up. Our quirky, our Daisy in general. He's criticizing Dalinar and talking about when he was the Blackthorn. They were enemies. The Alethi were, you know, pillaging his people. And he doesn't trust them. Although he does say that, you know, he might want to use the Alethi as, as the weapon that they are, which I really, I really liked that um, part of the, their, their discussion there. So he tells Dalinar, they'll only talk uh, once his army is rescued. They're uh, kind of posted up in these different lates, I'm assuming. Um, so Dalinar just immediately agrees to go and rescue them so that he can have this, this guy on his team. And Navani is not, not really okay with that. She's like, this is my ship. And she really kind of resents that he just made that decision without her, which was mirrored in the prologue when she was with, you know, Gavilar. Um, he just made decisions without her, didn't even care about what she thought. So that was kind of interesting. There is a little bit of a trouble in paradise there, even though they're newlyweds and their relationship is so wonderful. Um, and then at the end, Lynn shows up, which is also going to be really interesting um, later on. Hopefully, I really hope we get some kind of scene between her and Kaladin. Uh, but she shows up. She tells them, oh, we have a report of three flights fused. And then uh, we kind of have a little bit of a cliffhanger ending. And uh, Navani's excited to see <laughs> how they're going to <laughs> approach this conflict in, in theory and in reality. So any thoughts about this chapter? Oh, boy. <laughs> so... First of all, like I just loved all the the fabrial nerding that Navani got to do in this book uh, in this chapter, and I think it also was sort of a relief, uh, a way or a went for Brandon to finally dump just a lot of fabrial law on us, and I really loved that. And you haven't mentioned this so far, but the epigraphs are also from a lecture that Navani gives in front of the coalition of monarchs. And it's also on Fabrial Science, so we just get the full, um, yeah, the full uh, lecture and dump on it all. This book seemingly, yeah. and 
yeah, that would fit. We already know from like the the Amazon blurb that apparently there will be a Fabrials Arms race in this book, and I just can't wait to see that. Yeah, yeah, that was released what by Amazon, I think. Mm -hmm. That yeah, there was a lot of info dump in this chapter. <laughs> Um, lots of, uh, technical stuff that we kind of, some of the stuff that we knew as a recap when, uh, Navani's thinking to herself about things, but then also, um, you know, new questions and things to be explored. <laughs> yeah. Lots. So, <laughs> yeah, lots. While it is an info dump, what I really like about it is that like, it doesn't feel like one at all because right. it's just Navani, uh, her character, um, really enjoying these things herself and, yeah, she's just nerding out about them, and yeah, it's just really great how Brendan can can pull this off. In, in and, some of the parts when Navani's talking about, you know, her ship and and her research, yeah. and she's leading it, I'm like, yeah, take that, Gavilar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that was just in general a really nice parallel to the prologue where she, for one, thinks or is insulted by Gavilar that all she does is just um, piggyback on the successes of others and she's directing people and she feels some of that here and it feels sort of imposter syndrome maybe for for Navani and like she doesn't really acknowledge her own um, brilliance and always tries to play it down but it really goes to show that uh, for one as a character she's really struggling with that but we also see that she is brilliant here and has come with all up with all these schematics and the math behind the um, airships, which I think we should briefly talk about as well, how they work, because I found oh, that yeah. really interesting. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, I just really loved it. <laughs> yes. Uh, she's she's such a great character because it seems like she's kind of accepted. In, in the prologue, we have her struggling with the idea that uh, you know she's not a scientist she's not an artifabrian you know she's not like a with these scholars um and and Cavalier constantly picks on her for it and now she's just so happy she feels like she's a leader she may not be you know one of the brilliant scientists that she works with but she leads them and she she guides them and she's drawing up all these schematics of fancy airships and things and the first prototype is not what she had imagined so it shows it really shows that she has grandiose dreams and um she has a lot of drive i just i just loved this whole look into her character speaking of that like in how she has that leadership role we see her before we talk about the airship maybe maybe we can briefly mention she talks about the sibling and how mm -hmm. they theorize that it is responsible or they know sort of that it's responsible for making urethral work and that sort of leads into with her being such a good leader for all these scientists and sort of bringing them together yeah. that sort of plays into the theory that a lot of people have that she might be become the sibling bondsmith and I love that theory, by the way. Yeah. I'd find it a little weird or maybe, I don't, it's a little, uh, it's, <laughs> I'm not sure how to put it, but if everyone, every one of the main characters becomes a radiant, sort of feels a little bland after some time, but it's also quite fitting for her to become that bond. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah, I agree. But I, at the same time, we've, in this chapter, we see so many radians now mm -hmm. that I don't think it will feel that weird to have, you know, a lot of the main characters be them. Actually, it would feel weird if 
<laughs> they don't, you know, although I still want Adolin to be our normie. <laughs> yeah. Just... Um, yeah. We, we don't see much of Adolin yet, but I guess that he might or probably will achieve reviving Maya in this book and become an edge dancer, but he'll probably <laughs> stay one of the most grounded radians, yeah. I think, and because edge dancers is also sort of a, the radiance of the people, more or less, mm -hmm. because they, but healers. Ancient, yeah. uh, anyway, so yeah, the sibling talk in general also was really quite fun because Navani says like, oh, she interviewed Spren and they, some of them say the sibling is dead and, but we don't uh, quite know what that means for Spren, but some also say it's slumbering. Slumbering. Yeah. And for one, I think that's just such a Navani thing to do that she interviewed Spren and <laughs> collated the info and yeah. Yep. I love that. So you have some thoughts about the airship. I'm not going to get into any physics <laughs> talk, but you may. I give you permission. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be a bit of a monologue for me now, but I just, <laughs> I just was squealing while she was um, yeah. uh, talking Disco about like, yes. the weights yeah. and Uruthiru or Uruthiru, yeah. how you pronounce it. <laughs> So first of all, what I find interesting is that we suspect that maybe the airships would use some new fabrial altogether, like something that maybe used lashings or something like that. And that would be a hint that they are slowly figuring out like these sort of search fabrials that we have seen, like the progression or search by um, soul casters. But instead, how it actually works, which is just super clever, is that apparently they have two sets of fabrials more or less. One that is in Eurythiru that is sort of hanging off the plateau and Charles um, are used to lower and um, raise it, the platform. And then because it works works like the um, spren reads, like the conjoined mm -hmm. fabrials, where doing one thing to one of them does it to the other. And she talks about how they had to figure out how to make it work over such long distance and things like that. And, yeah, just a lot of that. And so it works by basically we they have one fabrial that go is responsible for the up and down motion. Mm -hmm. And then they have another that's on the shattered planes, which is also um, drawn by Chal. And apparently they use uh, and it's for uh, responsible for the back and forth motion. And apparently they figured out, out how to use um, aluminium to sort of direct the way the fabric works, she, she talks about how th they can change the vectors of it. And yeah, just, I hope we see more of that and how they, like, maybe I don't, I doubt that um, Bren will go into the actual <laughs> uh, linear algebra behind it and stuff like that. But it, oh, you know, fun. someone's going to. <laughs> but if they haven't already. <laughs> yeah, and uh, just really excited to see how. Like she says that um, discovering that aluminum aluminum can do that in the first place is the big discovery that made it possible. And it just wants me make to see how they in general will apply aluminum, which we thought was sort of useless in a lot of ways because it only blocks magic, mm -hmm. but how they make you creative use of that and um, how they utilize it to their advantage rather than like just... Like we already see that it works as shielding to prevent like these screamers to see them soul casting. But if it also has fabrial applications, I just love that. 
Yeah, I agree. But um, what I what I was fascinated by, and I mean, the math behind it and everything is wonderful, <laughs> but I am actually really interested <laughs> in seeing how this affects the church. And, you know, they're, they're delving into science, they're using uh, mechanical means rather than their, you know, magic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stormlight, Spren, these gems, they're all religious significance and they are manipulating it for their own needs. So that's going to be really interesting, I think, to see how this works out for them. Yeah. You know, it's and a pretty common would... trope. I mean, mm -hmm. for, for humans to be, you know, overreaching God in, <laughs> in science. So it's, it's going to be interesting. And it all started with, you know, our, our, our lovely atheist, Yasna. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think that really fits with the parallel, like how um, she talks to the Thalen Admiral that the times are changing now, and mm -hmm. he wonder. Uh, it's also fun how fun how he thinks about um, warfare applications of the airships, and like how a conventional navy they could just drop stones on them from the air and mm -hmm. basically um, deal with it in minutes and. It really makes belief that we'll see that arms race and uh, how it will change the face of Rosha forever, probably what they're doing with the Fabrial tech. Well, what's actually really interesting is he's thinking about how it would be used against the the ships in the water. Mm -hmm. But she, in her mind, she's thinking about how it's going to be used against the fear boost in the air. Yeah. So she's forward thinking and everybody else that she's talking to is kind of thinking in the past so it's, yeah. it's very very, very interesting but yeah we probably probably could talk a lot more about how some of this stuff might work with the airship oh, but definitely um, i think what's i mentioned the epigraphs before and basically what these first few parts are about is basically a very in basic introduction how um you capture the spren and get it to get into the gemstone and like mm -hmm. we already knew some of this that like flames when attract, are attracted to uh, flames and fire. And so you better kindle a fire to attract them. And apparently you have to have stormlight in the gemstone before only you- only 70%. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> only have to have 70 uh, They figured out experiment uh, experimentally that 70% is about the perfect number. And I wonder what that is about. Like maybe the the- for the sprint to get close enough, there has to be enough space left over for it to even begin getting into there. We know Sanderson likes his fractions, so. Yeah. <laughs> but then it would have to be like 90% because one tenth of it has to be left over <laughs> to fit with the numerics. But uh, <laughs> anyway, what, um, what else she mentions is that in order for to actually capture the sprint, then you have to get out the stormlight out of the gem and to sort of uh, maybe form a vacuum of sorts to then suck it in the spren is how I imagine it. It works. And she did mention and, the Larkin. Yeah, exactly. She says like all, all of the Artifabrian guilds have their own way of dealing with uh, or of doing that. And it, uh, they, it's a closely kept secret. Mm -hmm. But one of the methods might be using a Larkin, which of course is difficult because they're almost extinct. But she mentions that, and that's such an interesting law drop, that apparently um, Larkin were the cause of wars that were fought on Amia. And mm. oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. 
<laughs> yes, there's there's so much in these chapters. Yeah. So much to speculate and, on. And it makes you so excited for the next week. Mm-hmm. Like, like how she mentions, oh, she has prepared stuff to maybe deal with the fuse and weapons for that. And that's all she says, oh, more Fabrials, please just show me stuff. <laughs> show me stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we had a meme that show me stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so we're wrapping up. This is a very long episode. And uh, for for this content that we're going to be doing, but we did go over four chapters. Um, you can find all of these preview chapters at 9 a.m. Eastern time on tour.com. And we'll be going over two every, <laughs> you know, every week that they come out. Um, we'll let you know right at nine o'clock when they come out on 17thshard.com. And you can come discuss them on our Discord or on our forums or in the comments, even the comments on YouTube, anywhere you want. Please talk about them with us because we're very, very excited. It's very exciting. Are, are you guys? Are exciting. you guys excited to finally see some Rhythm of War? It's pretty exciting, right? And I'm very, it's, very excited. It's it's needed in this time. This was my my present for today of my my day of stress today. My (laughs) present to myself was being able to do this with you guys. So I'm very happy. It was totally worth getting up early for this. (laughs) (laughs) And staying up late for this. So producer note, we started recording this at 9.30 p.m. Pacific because it's like, oh, for EU, it'll be 6 6 a.m. It'll it'll be fine. So we're up late. Paleo's up early. We had fun tech issues. We're going to try and figure out Fell's video quality. We're, we'll, we'll get that. But you know what? The audio is the important thing. The audio is good. Yes. Yeah. That's true. So we'll yeah. get there. And it was very, very exciting hosting my first one. <laughs> I think you did great. Comment below Definitely. that Fell did great or whatever you think. But <laughs> I think Fell did great. Hopefully it's great. Don't comment, comment if you think it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> Always come and fail for admin yes. because fell for admin. <laughs> <laughs> for people coming in for Rhythm of War, they will not get that joke at all. Yeah. No. They will not understand that meme. I, I love how it took off, though. <laughs> Bye. See you next week.